Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we are spouting off about open source projects rising from the ashes. So let's get into episode 49. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. With me today is Wendy, as welcome as a fleece blanket in front of a fireplace on a cold winter's day, and Matt, the guy that walks to your house wearing snow boots that gives you that puddle to step in later. How are you two? I'm doing pretty good. Still laughing about your introduction of Matt, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was muted so you couldn't hear me when I laughed the first time. Oh, good. Oh, but it was there. I was laughing on the inside. Then I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, I was laughing when I was writing it. I think it was last week when I wrote it. The snow is really bad here right now. It's really irritating and blowing. And I thought, wow, you know, being with Wendy on the show is a little bit like a crackling fire in a fleece blanket. And, you know, Matt is like when your kids don't take off their boots and they walk through the house, and then you step in that cold puddle later. Oh. That's definitely Matt. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a reminder of what you need to go do still, Nate. Shovel more snow. <laughs> Exactly. Well, Matt, you've got some really exciting hardware here, I see. I've never heard of such a thing. What is this webcam that has high resolution? So I was in the neighborhood for a webcam upgrade. Right now, I'm still using a Logitech C920. So, you know, like, what, seven, eight years old at this point, I believe. I was looking at a bunch of different, you know, webcams, but man, those prices are like not conducive to like what I want to spend. So I was looking at like the Razer Kio. I think it's Pro Ultra or Ultra Pro or whatever, but it's like 4K, 60. Cool. Awesome. I'm not spending $300. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I can go the normal camera route, what Ryan and Michael do for a lot of their video stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not going to go that route. Cameras have come down. Still stupid expensive. <laughs> right. Especially if you're going in the realm that they did and the original Sony cameras that they were using, they had bought on sale. They did upgrade to different cameras for their video podcast. Mm -hmm. But you're playing games. So in your video podcast, there's more to look at than just you. Like you're small and up in yeah. the corner and it's mostly the game that's being shown. So I don't think you need to have that much detail in your camera view. So exactly. I definitely understand why you wouldn't want to go that route. Yeah. It was a Lumix that I was looking at. And... Yeah, that was like you know, three fifty. So it wasn't much out of the realm of what I had already looked at with you know high end webcams. Right. Anyway, there was a camera that popped up and just ended up looking. I was like, okay, look, the C nine twenty only goes to ten eighty thirty, but this is like right. seven or eight years old, starting to kind of show its age at this point. I just typed in and I've been trying to limit my use of Amazon a little more than I used to, but uh, I, I was like, whatever. I went into Amazon and I just typed in webcam 108060. And the first one that popped up was, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce the name because it's <laughs> overseas brand and I'll put it that way. But it was like new 2K webcam with like 1440p at 30 frames. The thing I cared about was the 108060. And I was like, oh, sweet. It was like 30 bucks. Okay, whatever. They had a $10 coupon on it on top of the cheap price already. It's no more than I've paid for microphones and some of the other, I wouldn't call them low quality, but more budget oriented stuff that I bought. And so I'm like, if it doesn't work, whatever, I'll send it back. I was out 20 bucks for a little bit, whatever. No big deal. It actually showed up a couple hours before we started recording and I've been messing around with it. It gives me better stuff than I thought because it gives me 1440, 60. Wow. <laughs> it's a little finicky. And I think that's more to do with just, it's not technically supposed to be supported by Linux because they have like firmware stuff and everything else that are for like Windows and Mac and the typical that nonsense. But it is a just plug and play device for the most part. So like sometimes it doesn't catch up with OBS when it turns on. And the, the biggest issue that I had with it was the color kind of leaned a little too much in the blue tint but it was literally like five minutes of some color correction filters in obs and it looks pretty dang good not gonna lie for 20 bucks and a 1440 60 fps webcam i am dang happy for it i think right now it's still 30 bucks because i think they got rid of the uh, coupon but still really good purchase for what it is well golly this sounds like a great thing i'm in the market for some kind of a camera i can 
hang like above my workbench. And I'm wondering if something like mm -hmm. this might do the trick. It would be light. I could just plug it in and then I could get that direct feed from right into OBS when I record me doing some nonsense. I mean, that sounds like a good way to go, but I don't know if these things are not going to work real well for recording things because they're probably optimized for faces. I don't know. But if you have that kind of resolution, I'm sure you can crop things nicely and, and whatever else right there in OBS. So I, I don't know. It, it seems like it a really good idea. It does give you some flexibility as long as the sensor's somewhat decent in it. But from what you're saying, when it comes to your picture, it's all looking pretty dang good, right, Matt? Yeah. Once you do some color correction, it, it looks really good good it leans too much on the blue and the colors are a little flat on that blue so you have to at least in my case i had to up the saturation a little bit up the contrast and then add a color key to kind of take out the little more of the blue tint than i could have gotten with just messing around with the generic hue and contrast kind of stuff and it wasn't a lot like saturation i think i added like a 0.5 which anybody who does color correction stuff yeah that's not much that's not a lot of tone change for a more popping look on the camera for more full color for the price, I can't really complain. Is it perfect? No. Everything's a compromise. Am I going to pay a ton of money for a 4K or a 2K webcam? Heck no. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I have better things to spend my own money on, like video games. Like physical games. Yeah. <laughs> Which I also picked up, but we won't discuss that. This time. Yes. <laughs> you are correct. But while I'm busy messing around with uh, new hardware and whatnot, Wendy, it sounds like the hardware you've been messing around with has taken you a little bit further down that journey of competition. Yes, it has. So we were recording this on January the 27th and that means state competition is tomorrow so today was our last prep day and on Wednesday this week and of course today Friday we were kind of running things as though we were at competition so we had the kids simulate bringing all of their stuff in putting things away properly We've got a tote that's got some things that brings it in. And once we empty that tote, that's where all the jackets and stuff go. So they're not strung all over our pit area. And then where things get set up, practice on them, coming into the room for their presentations, laying everything out, picking things up, all of those transitions, and practicing their robot runs. So on Wednesday, they were really, really struggling on that second run. So they actually start their robot, I would say, what is it? There's the first, second, third, fourth. So they start their robot four times in the process of things. So when it is in the home area, they can touch their robot and it goes home four times and they'll restart it. And when they're getting ready to do their third run, that team on that side of the board was really struggling to make sure that their jig was in the right place and they were launching the robot from the same spot. And it is incredibly important that the robot leaves at pretty much the same spot every single time so that their code is accurate. If it's off one way or the other too much, then we're just out of luck. It's not going to achieve the goals that they set it out to do. So today, they were all nailing that really, really well. And as we wrapped up for the day and they had done their presentation twice, they'd run their robot at least six times today doing the full runs all together, me acting as the judge, them coming in, asking if they could set up all of that good stuff, doing the cleanup. I was like, so aren't you glad we had all this time and actually practice? And they're like, yeah, because we're feeling better for tomorrow. Of course, they're still a little bit nervous. Of course, they're going to be nervous because they'll be doing their presentation in front of the judges. And these are the robot runs that matter. But they went from not getting to the final run last week and not getting all of their missions done in run three to having things down well enough today that they were nailing pretty much all of that. So I'm hoping that they get a really, really good night's sleep tonight. I would like to say I'm going to, but I probably won't sleep myself either. Even though I'm not the one actually competing tomorrow at state, I will probably absolutely sleep like crap because I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Christmas Day for me, except for with robots and nobody's getting gifts. But I get to see the kids have worked so hard actually have that payoff with competition day tomorrow. Pretty excited. Next week, I will be able to give you a heads up of how that went, and I'm hoping to report some awesome news. We have some kids on the team who keep saying, we're going to Worlds, we're going to Worlds, we're going to Worlds, which that's in April. And in order to make Worlds, 
they have to score incredibly well on their robot game. I'm not sure if we score enough points in general right now to make that happen, but we've got some kids that are just so determined to make it to Worlds. And if we don't go this year, they'll be even more determined to make sure we have a solid robot run to go next year. Well, that sounds really exciting. Now, you did describe how excited you are. What kid would you say is the closest to your level of excitement? I don't know. I mean, they're all pretty excited, but they're all extremely nervous, too. I'm not going to necessarily name names, but I can think of one kid. He is our team captain. He's definitely the cheerleader of the team. He's the most excited. He's the one typically doing dances because they play music during the robot runs, which is kind of fun. So he'll typically be dancing to the music. And then while we're waiting for award ceremony, they'll play some music and they invite the kids down, you know, on the gym floor to dance and stuff. And he's always out there doing that kind of stuff. So I would say he's without a doubt the team cheerleader, the team captain, and keeps our energies up. It's good to have somebody that on the team. So it's not just you pushing, but like when you have some momentum within the team, I think that's pretty exciting. Yes. Yes. And we definitely do. We definitely do. We have the kids that are more likely to step up and answer questions. And we're like, we're so glad that you know the answers, but we need to show that this is a team effort so sometimes your teammates need to answer and then we've got the ones who are just very high energy and of course are shy we've got a mix of everything all those different personalities on the team that's really exciting states tomorrow and i will spend all of sunday just vegging out not doing anything recuperating from the adrenaline rush of saturday as we gear up for the next semester of co-op, which we'll have no out-of-co-op meetings, unless we make it to Worlds. And if we do make it to Worlds, we'll be right back at meeting twice a week for a total of eight hours a week together, not including drive time. So, Well, good luck to you on that. That's exciting. I'm sure the kid's team captain, I'm sure he would love to go to finals. What would you say it was called? It's called Worlds. So actually, multiple teams from literally all over the world. Lego League is a worldwide thing. And luckily for us, we don't have to travel very far for state. Luckily for us, we wouldn't have to travel out of the country for Worlds. That would be held in Texas. There's no way we're driving with teenagers. to texas for that so it would be flying and of course there would be a massive overhead expense so if we did make it to worlds if we did have a score that put us in position to go to worlds then we'd have a massive fundraiser campaign we'd need to do to fund that trip we have matt do another 24-hour stream that's my solution. Heck yeah. I'd love that idea. Hey, Matt, what do you think about that? Uh, so He sounds enthused. Let's go with it. <laughs> for all the flack that I got about not playing Among Us, uh, Wendy, I will do that the last possible minute. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not getting funding to go to Worlds from you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I just said you'll get the last possible minute. Well, I'm pretty sure we'd want to make sure the funding was locked in early or else, you know. (laughs) No, the difference is if you just set me a date, then I'll be fine with it. But until then, no. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. I will let you know on Sunday morning. No, no, no. I will let you know Saturday night whether we need a 24-hour game stream or not. I'm going to regret this. So whatever date it is, you just (laughs) advance it by a week. No, 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 no. The game stream would be happening almost immediately since... Worlds is in April, and we'll be looking at early February then. I'd want funding to be wrapped up by mid-February so we could get tickets and stuff. Hey, Matt, looks like next week. Better rest up, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Nate, you've been playing with LXDE. I haven't touched this desktop in quite a while, but when it comes to something other than Plasma, this has definitely been one of my favorites. So how has it been working for you? Well, I wouldn't call myself like a huge fan of LXTE. It's kind of a throwback to like the early 2000s as far as kind of user experience, I would say. But what's really good about LXTE is how it's super, super light on resources. So light on resources, in fact, that it'll work on the C64. Not the Commodore 64, but the C64. 
And what that is, is an ARM-based modern implementation of the Commodore 64 that's using HDMI and USB interfaces as opposed to the legacy type devices, yeah, interfaces on the old system. So it has a Commodore 64 keyboard layout. It's missing the keys on modern systems and you know, like an escape key, doesn't have tab, things like that. So I had to plug in uh, a USB number pad to get it to work. But what's really cool is that it's kind of a game device. Ultimately, it's not really a computer, but it can act as a Commodore 64 and it can do, you know, basic programming, you can do assembly programming, you can, it has all the different fun things you can do as far as like cartridge images so you can super snapshot so you can actually look at the code that's being executed inside on the computer it's Commodore 64 code that you can look at that's being executed so it does all these things one of the irritations that I had with it not really irritations but like shortcomings that I found with this machine was that you can't actually edit like certain configuration files or file names right on the C64 I'd have to take the USB drive that I plug into it out go to a computer of course a Linux machine and then make any edits there modify these different like like the CJM file for like special configurations for a particular game or whatever. And I thought it'd be really nice if you could just do that right there. I mean, you have the keyboard on the system. Why not be able to do that? There's a project that someone made. You can actually launch the computer into a session of X windows using LXDE. And you have the full desktop file manager terminal, all these fun things because that's what's running the thing underneath ultimately. And it's done in a clever way. In the same way you do like a firmware upgrade, you launch this like a firmware upgrade and it just kicks you over to you know, X windows. And you can find out all the interesting facts about it. Like basically it has just over hundred meg of RAM. Yes, I said hundred meg of RAM about. And the NVMe on it's about 70 megabytes, I think, which is, you don't need very much, you know, to do Commodore 64 anything. The positive thing there is from this machine, instead of unplugging the USB and, and doing all that fanciness, all I have to do is go into the menu, launch LXDE, do the changes, save them, and then go back to the regular console or how, the carousel interface where I can launch titles and everything else. So it's really cool, very simple to do, and exploring other possibilities of hacking this machine a little bit, get a little more excitement out of it than I already am. So it's a fun machine, looks like a Commodore 64, but it has all the modern trappings, you know, like USB and, and so forth. It doesn't have a network interface, so you can't do anything cool like that, but you can't do a whole lot with 100 meg anyway. It sounds like a fun little machine. And when I read LXDE, what I was thinking was LXQT. I don't think I've actually ever played with LXDE. So I do love LXQT as if I wasn't using Plasma, that's what I'd go to. But it's interesting to see this working so well on this little device that doesn't really have a whole lot of hardware capabilities, but still fills that retro gap for you. It does. It's kind of a in-between thing. I did a video on how to play this game called Petsky Robots from the 8-Bit Guy on this using a controller. And so it's that same system. And that's actually where I started getting that, that frustration of I wish I could just edit things right there on it. And now I've found a way to do that. Uh, there aren't any YouTube nice. videos out there about it. At least I couldn't find any. So I'm working on that aspect of it as well. Meaning I'm doing a, a yeah. video on it. Well, we're excited <laughs> to see that when you have it all wrapped up and done. The editing part is always the most daunting. Yes, yes, definitely, without a doubt. And that goes for any show, whether it's an audio podcast, you for Linux Saloon, or just your project videos, without a doubt. If only I could get good at that. That's basically a pipe dream. Well, there's always <laughs> another goal to reach. Michael edits video all the time and he keeps adding stuff to his workflow. Yeah, he's found some ways to kind of streamline it a bit, but then he's like, okay, now I need to learn how to do this. I've gotten proficient in that. I got to learn how to do that. So there's always another thing to learn regardless of what it is. Oh, for sure. I think the issue for me is like getting vapor locked as to where to put things. It happens from time to yeah. time. Then I have to walk away from it for a while, but probably the next few days I'll have that done. Sweet. Well, we do have some exciting event news coming up. Did you know that we are almost at our one year of being Linux Out Loud? Isn't that absolutely crazy? It almost feels like we've been Linux Out Loud forever and at the same time, like we just switched over the name. Our first drop, of Linux Out Loud was February 16th, 2022. We're two weeks away from that anniversary of being one year. And what better than to do a live stream to celebrate our one year anniversary of Linux Out Loud. We wanted to do a live stream when we launched it. And just based on everything happening at the time, it didn't happen. So we're doing one for the one year anniversary. That'll take place 
on Friday, February 17th, 2023 at 12.30 a.m. UTC or 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Check your time zones. When I drop all of this information on the discourse form, I will use the handy dandy tool that adjusts it automatically for your time zone. So you can always check that link there on the discourse form in those show notes and make sure you're seeing the proper time for when we are going to be live. So technically it's 12.30 a.m. UTC on, the, on February 18th. Is right. It's the next day. Yes. Or mm-hmm. 6.30 p.m. Eastern on February 17th. Right. Very good point. Just in case someone, you know, try to tune in, if you call it that, a day early. Yes. They'd be <laughs> tuning in a day early and we'd be super bummed, especially if you're up in the middle of the night to come hang out with us. That would be a super bummer. I did add it to the Linux Saloon calendar. So if someone does subscribe to the Linux Saloon calendar, it's a Google calendar. So don't throw me under the bus. I mean, Matt will, just because that's what Matt does. Proverbially, (laughs) not literally. Could be both. Could be in a video game. But both. You did shoot me in Among Us. So, I mean, there's that. I don't know what you're talking about. To be fair, we both killed him too. Well, I I know, but that doesn't count for this part, Mm. this this portion of the conversation, doesn't we? Gotcha. I'll have it on that. So you can go to linuxsaloon.com and the calendar is there. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. From their award-winning support to ease of use and setup, it is clear why developers and businesses have been trusting Linode for their projects, both big and small, since 2003. Don't worry if you're just getting started. That 24-hour, 7 days a week, 365 days a year support is offered to every level of user. They also offer industry-best price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including shared, dedicated, high-memory, and GPUs. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible, allowing you to focus on your customers, not your infrastructure. Visit linode.com tux, create a free account, and you'll get a $100 credit. Say you're in a hurry. Don't worry about it. You can build everything yourself or use the Linode one-click apps to deploy everything from Plesk, WordPress, to Valheim, and Minecraft servers. Make sure you visit Linode slash Tux to get started for free and snag that $100 credit while you're at it. One of the unique things, maybe not totally unique, but it seems to be pretty unique to the open source world is how there are many projects that kind of fade out a little bit and then they rise from the ashes of neglect. And this is one of the very positive things about open source. These various projects, a closed source project would be forgotten about and be left for dead. But an open source project, even if it goes dormant, isn't really totally dead necessarily. It can still be revived. There are a lot of projects, and I didn't realize how many there were just in our short list, projects that came back from obscurity. Probably one of the most exciting, I think, and although I was never a huge fan, it's exciting nonetheless. The Unity desktop has gone from being you know, neglected or discarded by the Ubuntu project and returned as a remix and a desktop option now for Ubuntu. It wasn't long after I came to Linux that Unity got dropped. So I didn't really play with it too much. I was never really on Ubuntu a lot. What I did find interesting is that the community, for many reasons, like we don't like Unity. And then as Ubuntu said, hey, we're going to discontinue Unity. We're not going to be funding it anymore. Then a massive part of the community was like, oh, no. Which was like, okay, that's really, really weird. So it's cool to see that actually coming back. And I think the best part of it coming back was before you had to use Ubuntu in order to get Unity or set up Plasma in a way that looked like Unity. And in this revival, it's now available on more distros than just Ubuntu. It's currently available on Arch. I know um, the developer or maintainer, however you want to board that, for Ubuntu Unity as well, is looking at Fedora. Um, and there was a few others that it, options they was looking at. Like you mentioned, Nate, I love the fact that somebody took that project that was mothballed and just kind of picked it up and ran with it. I'm more amazed by the fact that age really generically when it comes to being a developer really doesn't mean a lot. But the fact that a single individual that is fresh into the community 
took on such a big project and has already made strides with it where a full company of people struggled to make it available on other platforms really and fix a lot of the deficiencies especially now with the base that unity was based on for gtk and gnome and all that stuff has moved so far ahead of it that i think it's a great strength that it shows for open source as a whole though that something this big can be done just to show like what one person can actually do yeah it all it takes is one person to get the ball rolling and once there's enough steam behind that, other people will jump onto it. There's excitement that, that surrounds it. And if you can maintain that sort of fire in a project, I mean, it can go on for a long time. Now, I don't see uh, Unity on my beloved OpenSUSE, but that's okay. It might eventually get there. If it's available on Arch, I'm sure we'll be hitting the build service at some point, May. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something that hits that realm and if there's enough people interested in it, especially with the way you sing the praises of the build service and how handy it is to get it in multiple places from there, I wouldn't be surprised to see it hitting there soon too. Well, I guess we'll see. It'd be nice to test out. I'm wondering what the roadmap is for Unity now. I mean, obviously they've done a lot right now is just modernizing it, making it look like other desktops to dust it off and make it look less like five years ago. And from the pictures, it looks fantastic. It really does. It has a very clean look about it. Not that it didn't before. They updated the icons, it seems, and, and some of the, the, the windowing and so forth. Yeah, this looks great. Now, another project that seems to be at least important to you guys is Noise Torch. I didn't know this was a project. It's a, a microphone noise suppression app that has come back in a new release. This is one I really like, especially if you do gaming. So, Nate, I'll explain this in the best way I can for you. Okay. Use small words and go slowly. Take the <laughs> noise suppression. No. So, take the noise suppression filter that you get in OBS for mm -hmm. the microphones and stuff. Make that available system-wide. Oh. It is a default on the microphone at all times across systems across apps across everything really it adds that noise suppression it's been a while i don't generically use it as much as i used to just because i'm not streaming different people and all that stuff so i don't need a lot of the noise like system-wide noise suppression but i believe if i remember correctly it adds a separate microphone source specifically that says the microphone, but then it says noise torch. Hmm. So you know which one in your audio properties and like in, in plasma or pulse or uh, pipe wire that you know which one you're selecting all the time. Little things like that are really, really cool to have. But there was a little issue that the keys kind of became public for the GitHub. And then there was kind of a lull in about whether or not it was going to continue development because of it. And then the community picked it up and just kind of kept the project going after like there was a security kind of audit of the code and whatnot i think it's a really strong example of what the community can do when they take and pick up where something might have eventually died off that's really cool so how does this compare to easy effects or pulse effects is it a separate thing then entirely like that pulse effects or easy effects cannot do pulse effects and easy effects are much more granular this is more here's a threshold don't go above or below kind of thing so anything below it you can set whatever your threshold you want and you can change the volume it's been a while since i've actually looked at it uh, okay. probably six months since the last time i looked at it but you can set your thresholds for when anything below that is filtered out by the mic in in a software kind of way really it's kind of like the rn noise filter in obs just at a system level gotcha so i've never used this one personally and some of the downsides of some of the other noise filters is they cancel out the room noise when you're not talking but when you are talking that background noise is still there does this completely remove it or does it still have that exact same problem? It deadens a lot of the noise, very much like the OBS stuff does. You're not going to hear as much clicking on the keyboard or mouse clicks and that kind of stuff that you would normally hear in the background. And it does a fairly good job, depending on where you put your threshold, on suppressing out the background audio that doesn't fit into there even as you speak. Now, messing around with the audio takes a little bit to find the right threshold because everyone's got a different voice, different tone, and all that kind of stuff. Or else you're going to get kind of what you get when you don't right. have the, a noise gate set to the right 
areas. Kind of like what that sound cardboard thing was doing for me, where it was cutting me out just because it wasn't using the right frequency. Yeah, exactly. Again, it's a nice application, and I'm glad to see the community picked up where it kind of left off because they had implemented, uh, last I looked, kind of pipe wire support, but it was a very experimental. So I haven't looked in the last couple of months, but I'll probably take a look at it after actually <laughs> the show to see where they're at with that. But another one that the community picked up after uncertainty was the Budgie Desktop. Now, for those that don't remember back in, was it 2000? 17, 19, somewhere in that neighborhood, there was an issue where the lead developer of Solus, because Budgie at its core was very much a Solus tied project, stepped away. And there was a lot of uncertainty because there had been stuff about mansioning going to QT beforehand. But the Solus community picked up and took Budgie. And then the maintainer for that stepped away and is now maintaining Budgie as its own project separate from Solus. And I think Josh Strobel is doing a fantastic job with that, continuing that project and trying to incorporate more stuff from like the Ubuntu budgie guys and just kind of building a solid core community more around it without it being so distro specific, more community focused umbrella as opposed to one distro umbrella. You know, a lot of people really like the budgie desktop. And I know years ago, I thought it was great, like on netbooks and such. I haven't really used it in a while for no real reason. I just haven't. The move to, is it EFL? the Enlightenment Project toolkit. That's very interesting to me to see like what they do with that. I don't know what the time is going to be for them to actually implement Budgie with EFL. That's pretty exciting though that they are making that change and probably have some less friction with the upstream on the GTK side. Uh, something tells me there's probably still friction with the GTK side just given that they're making GTK and GNOME bend in ways that is outside of the generic GNOME and GTK thought process. Well, yeah, but I'm saying that, you know, having them go off on their own, doing their own thing and not having to fight with the upstream is probably best. Yes, definitely. Like we mentioned, where it's not specifically tied to one dev, one project, at least from a distro perspective, is really good too. A little more cross-collaboration and stuff with a lot of that is nice to see as well. I'm interested to see what the guys can do with EFL. Enlightenment's always been an interesting project. If you want like super lightweight, but 3D stuff, it is definitely Mm -hmm. probably the best way to go. Not going to lie. I remember the Enlightenment desktop had some really cool effects even almost 20 years ago now. It's neat to see how they've maintained a very light footprint and still had a lot of the bells and whistles. I would say it's because Samsung is a sponsor of EFL. Oh, I didn't know that. If you have a Samsung printer, most of the GUI stuff is actually Mm -hmm. based on Samsung money, more than likely. Really? That's good to know. As a side note, Gecko Linux, which is an OpenSUSE-based distribution, does offer a budgie desktop spin of Gecko Linux. It might be a nice way to try it. This isn't one that I've tried at all. Well, maybe I have. A long time ago, I probably installed Solus, but I don't think I stayed with it very long. So as far as experiencing the project, I haven't and definitely haven't had in a recent enough time to say anything about the workflow of it. But like you guys have already mentioned, this one seemed to be pretty popular in its state, especially those who loved Solus, and it was great to not have this project, this desktop environment die completely. It's one of my favorite things about Linux is all of our options and not just distros. It is desktop environment. So to keep more of them around that have the flexibility of the workflow you want, I think is a bonus overall. Now, something that's been pretty close to me and this show in general was tenacity. After all the hubbub around Audacity, there was some different breakoffs forking that I started using Tenacity pretty on in its transition and was loving a lot of the stuff that they did. There was a lot of people that were on that team that necessarily couldn't continue with it and there was a little bit of drama that was going on, not going to get into any of that. But there was an announcement that Tenacity was dying. And I even stated that here on the show, that they were going away. There was another branch, and I'm trying to remember what it was called. It had kind of a silly name. But there was a single developer that was still putting a lot of work into that fork of Audacity. And not long after I made the announcement, I think it was the following that I'm like, no, never mind, Tenacity is back. 
this other version is going to be merged into Tenacity. So all the work that the Tenacity team had already done and this other developer had already done was coming together. Tenacity is now still being developed. And there for a while, I wasn't using Tenacity. I was on an older version of Audacity, got bumped up to the newest version and had quite a few different problems with it, mainly as I was trying to play with the live stuff, which anything that is new in something like that, of course, is going to be a little bit more finicky. But now I am back on Tenacity. It is working so well. One of my current nags, niches, not niches, bugs of Audacity right now is I will lay in all kinds of different labels. And I want them to be able to snap, especially the beginning of those labels. And if you've saved it or done, you know, too many changes within that, it no longer snaps to it. So yeah, you can zoom in and scroll, but you're losing that snapping feature. And Tenacity seems to still have that. They've worked on that. They have lots and lots of changes coming up. And in some ways where they are diverging from the Audacity project in the way some of the stuff looks and the way some of the stuff is done. And I'm so excited to see what they have coming with this. I'm so glad that the project is up and running. They do have plans to bring in the live or the non-destructive editing, which I can't wait to see that actually implemented well, being able to use it frequently. And I've mentioned before why I love this feature. So I will put a link below if you want to hear me talk about why I love that so much. Not going to drag that out forever. And like I said, this is a project that is every day. And the turnaround from it being a dropped project or a project that's put on the back burner to one that was actively being developed again was almost instant. It merged with Saucedacity or something like that? Saucedacity, yes, that was the name of it. Mm-hmm. I was looking at the GitHub releases. And so Saucedacity 1.2.1 was the last version of Saucedacity. And then now it's Tenacity. And that project had merged together. And it looks like the big benefits of Tenacity is with their FFmpeg implementation. It uses version 5.0, which improve the project loading performance by tenfold. The difference between me loading projects and especially saving projects, and that's definitely the biggest one, especially as the files get massive. By the time Mm -hmm. I'm done editing this show, the save time on Audacity was taking forever. I still have this little quirk that absolutely drives me nuts and I don't know how to fix it. So I have all of the audio files on a secondary drive, my media drive, that's all the working projects. And I will be working from that. And I have to save another version of it on my main drive. And it doesn't matter whether it's Audacity or Tenacity, because if I go try and save it after I've done all of the audio processing and adding in the ads, it tells me there's not enough space on the drive, which there definitely is. I don't know what is part of both of them that's still there in Tenacity that causes that. So I will usually have to get done with all of the main editing. And before I do any noise reduction, before I do any of that, I have to save a version, which I call clean. So it's the edited version on my base hard drive, then do all of the editing. If not, then it tells me you don't have a big enough drive. And I hope that gets fixed somewhat soon, but it's not the biggest dill killer, right? I'm still using it. But saving those files is still incredibly faster than it was. And I should have like clocked it. But that was one of the things that I was sitting here just twiddling my thumbs and it probably felt even longer because I couldn't move on to the next process in getting the show out until this was done. They are working overall upgrading a lot of the stuff on the back end, which is so cool. It'll give this a better longevity as they do these upgrades now and then keep up with some of these background upgrades over time. I love that part of this team. That's really great. I hope that it continues to get better. I think I'm going to download this and give it a whirl. 1.3 beta that's coming out. Mm -hmm. I think it's worth a try. I mean, just some of the benefits there of the speed. When the show ends, sometimes Matt beats me, probably because he's (laughs) exporting his stuff 
faster. I don't know if he's running tenacity. I don't think so. I can't have him beating me every time like this. I need a leg up on him. No, I'm running on tenacity, but Nate, I'm also running on Ryzen 9 too, so that might have something to do with it. Oh yeah, I've got a Ryzen Maybe 5. Maybe a bit. Well, to be fair, I'm always the fastest with my audio file. Oh wait, I don't even export mine. I import your guys' flax <laughs> into my audio file. Oh, there we there go. We yeah, go. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password, as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Lennox Out Loud. Magneto out. Matt, as it is tradition, you like to enable everybody with the game of the week. What is your game of the week? Nate, I know you actually own a PS2. You can't say you don't. I know you do. The game of the week is Pray for the Gods. Now, Nate, do you or have you ever played the game Shadow of Colossus? No. Think Tomb Raider, Mm -hmm. the original. Okay. Take that platforming, but... The whole point of the game is to slay monsters, big giant puzzle-based monsters, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the overall gist of the game. But this game is family-ish friendly. Um, There's still violence, so there is that. So family-friendly is relative. But I would definitely like this game for the atmosphere because it has a nice aesthetic to it, a Mm -hmm. lot of winter levels and that kind of stuff. But the overall simplicity of the approach to the storytelling is what I really like. There's not a lot of cutscenes and all the stuff that I would normally enjoy in most of my games. This one is more what most people would find in like walking simulators where it's kind of environmental storytelling. Find like notes and clues and that kind of stuff and kind of give context to the world the focus is solely on the progression in the game it looks really good i'm not gonna lie like the art style is either hit or miss for some people but i think the art style looks fantastic the gameplay is conducive and good for mouse or keyboard it does break my general rule of an hour of entertainment for every dollar i spend kind of deal but there are certain games that like this one is 24.99 if or 29.99 if i remember correctly I got it for about $12. It's like a seven and a half, eight hour game. So for what the experience is, I think it's definitely worth it. Well, I think it looks really cool. I mean, I don't know if it's a button masher or how the gameplay is, but it really does look very cool. It's kind of got this icy vibe to it. Kind of makes me think of Game of Thrones in the North thing. Winter's coming. I'm surprised you like this game though, Matt, because it is a game where where it's so cold. (laughs) The dress isn't how you normally like it. So Wendy, here's another bad Matt, Nate. That's fantastic. I don't think I have the right hair for that, Matt. So this one is Steam Deck Verified. So that's another plus when it comes to Nate playing on it. I'm so glad you brought that up, Wendy. I figured that would be something you would ask, so I'm going to go ahead and fill it in for you. And it's still a relatively new game, so that would be a downside on the Nate check marks. This one came out December of 21. So it's still pretty oh, man. gosh dang new. Yeah, way, way new for you. That's really new, yeah. Way too new for Nate. But uh, the, a lot of the reason I do like this game is because the hardware requirements, besides being deck verified, Nate, by most gaming standards, fairly 2015-ish. Even the recommended requirements aren't horrible for even hardware from the last six or seven Yeah, years. the requirements on it are really quite nice. And for me, my favorite part is I love seeing games that are deck verified not because i have one but because that means i'm pretty sure it's going to play 
smoothly, very, very smoothly on my Linux system, which is fantastic. Here's the thing. I didn't play this on the Steam Deck to start. Really? I played this on my Linux desktop. And yes, Wendy, it works perfectly well. I'm assuming you're still on Manjaro? I'm on Garuda still because I jumped from Manjaro to Garuda when I was doing the whole cricket thing. As someone who uses Garuda as well, especially on the machine I have that is all AMD as well, it works perfectly fine. Yay! In fact, if you take off VSync, I was running at 180-something frames a second. Oh, wow. wow. I just added it to my wish list again. So this is two weeks in a row that I've added a game to my wish list from your suggestions. I will be waiting until this goes on sale. And mainly because it has that overall shortened time per dollar in gameplay. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely on the wish list though. If you're a completionist and how long to beat, which is the site I usually use to gauge kind of how long, if a game is generically, not always, worth my money is uh, howlongtobeat.com. Just type in the name of the game. It usually, people will send in consensus reports about how long they played the game roughly for across various platforms. Yeah, you're right. It's one of those games where if all you do is the main story, it's definitely like a six to eight hour game. So at the current price, barring sale, hard to justify. But if you can get it on sale, even going over that dollar per hour limitation that I usually hard cap. And I would probably play the side stuff. I definitely have with Bendy and the Dark Revival completed the game and now going back and getting some of the other additional stuff. It's been quite a while since I've gotten to play with it. But I have been known in games that I did enjoy the gameplay and the characters and all of that to go in and finish different parts of the game itself that's not necessarily part of the main story. That would also be kind of up my alley there. Well, speaking of what else is up your alley, though, Wendy, that would be 3D printing. So it sounds like there's a 3D <laughs> printing upgrade. So while you while you and you and Nate yes. converse, I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> Sounds good. You can come back when it's Nate's turn because it's totally going to be something you want to talk about. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try and keep this relatively short. Last week, I said if my printer is up and working, then it'll be great. If my printer isn't up and working, there might be a whole lot of bad Wendy's and a huge chunk of this section is going to be cut out. All of that stuff had arrived the day we were recording. I did spend Saturday getting the motherboard in and everything reset up, converting it from a Bowden system to a direct drive system. Getting everything hooked up to the motherboard really wasn't that bad. My first hurdle came when it came to installing Clipper onto that main board, and I had tried two different SD cards multiple times, just couldn't get it to work, and it didn't like either of them. I did some research looking at some forms, and they said, hey, you know, I was having a problem where it wasn't liking the SD card, so it wasn't actually flashing the firmware. I used the SD card that came with the machine. So it's not even the SD card that came with that motherboard. It came with the original machine and main board, and that worked fine. So I pulled out that SD card, put the firmware on it, and yep, everything flashed just fine. Now, I didn't write my entire configuration file myself. I started with somebody else's baseline. I did save that, and so I will share that in the links below as to which configuration I started with. Not that it'll help out anybody else unless you have an Ender 5 Plus and the exact same board you're putting into it. But that didn't leave me with a printer working right off the bat. So there's multiple ways that you can plug in the BL Touch. It's what I use to help with the automatic bed leveling. And I had configured it in a way that didn't necessarily match the way that that configuration file was. So I had to go back to the board and look at the pin numbers. Thankfully, you know, all of that stuff's pretty easy to get to from the company. Got it set to the right pins. And then I was having issues with printing. Like the main fan that goes for the hot end wasn't running. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And finally it dawned on me, I'm using somebody else's configuration file and I probably have my fan on a different pin that they have their fan on. So once I went and fixed that, it solved the problem of fans not working, but I was Hmm. consistently having a hard time getting things to print. And I was blaming 
heat creep for this. So if you're not a 3D printer, heat creep is essentially where instead of the heat staying in that base part, that bottom part where your thermistor and the heater is, it's rising up that hot end and starting to melt or soften, expand parts of the filament that shouldn't be warm. And I was doing all kinds of different things with my fan and couldn't get it to work, couldn't get it to work. And I was so frustrated. I had decided after all of these different settings and tweaks and stuff that I'd done that it had to be that new bracket. It had to be that new mount that I bought. That's the reason why it's holding the heat. It's too far close behind it, which still didn't necessarily feel right because I was looking at other ones. And I'm like, well, those ones have something behind the hot end and they must be working, right? The, oh, I can't remember the name, Micro Swiss. The Micro Swiss one has its plate completely down behind that heating block of it. So I'm like, well, you know, but I don't know. Like, I can't, literally can't think of anything else. What could it be? And I had shared my frustrations on Macedon. And this is where the community, the 3D printing community is so awesome. I had someone jump in and say, hey, I would love to help you solve your heat creep problems. And right after that, they sent another message saying, you know, I also remember hearing you say that you were changing it or reading you say, because I'd list all the things that I'd done, changing it from a Bowden system to a direct drive system. Did you change your retraction settings? So one of the things that retraction is for, the the main thing we use retraction settings for is when your filament is coming through, it's putting pressure on the stuff that's melted. So it's actually coming out of your hot end and hopefully onto your build plate like it should. Well, I still had my retraction set up for a Bowden system and it was set to six millimeter retraction where if you're using a direct drive system, you want a lot less, typically between one and two I read something after I'd gotten that feedback at setting it at half a millimeter. Went in, or actually I had completely dismantled that whole hot end and stuff before. So I had to put all of that back together. I had to pull that bracket out of the box that I was shipping back because I'm like, blah. Had to pull all of that back out, admit that I was probably wrong, put it all back together, change the setting, and here's this print. This print finishes perfectly. That was the problem all along. I hadn't adjusted my retraction settings. It had nothing to do with my configuration file, which I had looked at multiple times. I'd looked at the configuration file. I'd looked at some of the settings there for the extruder motor and was just like, there has to be something here I'm missing. And that that's what it was. And thank you so much for the community for helping <laughs> me out and getting that solved because I was at my wits end. So there are no bad Wendy's in this section because my printer is running. It's currently running right now. I've got a tab open from Fluid. One of the things that I wanted to do was get Clipper screen. And that's the way I could have a interface right there at the printer. And I might eventually do that, but I love Clipper so much. And I think my favorite part of this, not only can I rearrange where things sit on my home screen, reorder all of these different bits and pieces, my files, my bed leveler map, the printer information that's running, all of that. I can rearrange that the way I want to, but it rearranges itself based on the device that I use. The mobile experience with Fluid is so nice. Absolutely love it. So I haven't set up Clipper screen yet because if I want to make an adjustments on it as I'm standing there, like when I was setting my Z axis, I just grab my tablet and go back there and do it from there. Absolutely fantastic. It is... So nice. It has some of the amazing qualities that I was loving about Octoprint with a very nice, very modern user interface that is so clean and really works well on every single device I brought it up on, even my cell phone. That's something I really need to dig into now is the those applications you're using to manage it. Because I mean, although Octoprint's been great, but what you showed me is very compelling. I want to take a closer look at Flipper and whatever the other one was called, Fluid. And Mainsail. I'm wondering if they are better or how they compare and whatnot. I just want to see them in action. I'm going to have to do some more digging on that. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm, I'm very glad you got your printer up and running because when I asked you, was it 
early this week or late last week? I think it was because my printer's been running all week this week. So it was like late last week. And it was right after you had sent that message and I'd replied like, mm-hmm. it's not working. I'm pulling my hair out. I am ready to go take this thing out in the yard and take a hammer to it. That I'd gotten that feedback from somebody in the community. Oh, no, I guess it was this week. It was this week because it was Tuesday and I was working on editing the show when that came in and I dropped editing the show to go put my printer back together and try it out. Yeah, so I'm glad you got that worked out because I was a little concerned, you know, having a 3D printer in pieces. I know sometimes I've personally been in a situation where something has upset me so much I had to just walk away from it and leave it for a while. So I wouldn't go office space on it. Uh-huh. So I'm really glad that you got that sorted out. And also, where's the group that your uh, your 3D printing group that you interact with? Because that'd be good to have another resource. You know, should I fall into uh, a similar pitfall? It wasn't a 3D printing group, but I had just tagged my post on Mastodon with 3D printing, and so other people in the community who follow that tag or whatnot oh, okay. picked it up, and I got some feedback that way. And then later on, after that, after I'd already had it fixed. I had someone say that I should go ask on the Clipper Discord channel. So I still would be joining that because there are some other things I want to do. I'm now to the point that it's time to do some fine tuning on it. Make sure that I have the configuration for the motors just as clean as they can be for each one. Do some individual calibrating because while I have now a nice overall configuration file because every motor is different, every printer is different, it would be nice to now go through, fine-tune all of that stuff, of course, after state is over, and make sure that my printer is just running as smoothly and getting the best quality prints out of it that I can because I have that flexibility to make all of those adjustments in the configuration file without having to reflash it. And that's another thing that I absolutely love about this firmware is I have tweaked the configuration file for Clipper multiple times and all it does is take a quick reset and any of the changes I made to the configuration file are ready to go. No reflashing anything on the main board. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. I am glad that you're able to get that going. I ask you some questions about the auto leveler as well. Yeah, absolutely. Not a problem. Whenever you're ready to kick this off, I'm more than happy to answer any questions that I can or direct you to some of the places that you might be able to find a good answer. Now we're going to jump back into the realm of Matt and Nate. So Matt, you can go ahead and wake up because Nate got a new screen protector for his Steam Deck. Oh, uh-huh. I heard Steam Deck. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Welcome back. Nice to hear from you again, Matt. Yeah, this is a really quick short thing. So I ordered a screen protector for my Steam Deck when I got the case for it, and I hadn't installed it because I was ho-humming about it because it wasn't the etched glass, the glare reduction screen protector. But I went ahead and I put on the not anti-glare screen protector on my anti-glare Steam Deck because... I found a small scratch on my screen and I was very upset. I mean, it's about two millimeters long and it's off the viewing area and it, the screen has to be off. And you have to have it at the right angle to see it. It's a bit of a struggle to find, but as I was cleaning my Steam Deck and, you know, polishing it, like as I do from time to time, I found <laughs> it. I tried to show the kids. I was kind of like, not really upset, but like when your heart sinks, that's kind of what it was like. Oh, uh, yes. Uh huh. But it's not in the viewing area. <laughs> it's off to the side. And I thought, you know what? I want to make sure I don't get any more scratches. So I'm going to go ahead and install these screen protectors on the Steam Deck to to protect it because I want to get this thing to last as long as possible. Right. And have you noticed any negatives when it comes to actually using the Steam Deck now, now that it has this reflective screen protector over a non-reflective screen? In certain angles, yeah. it's There is more of a reflection that you see like from lights. Yeah. If it's in a darker room... Now you don't notice any difference. I haven't really used it outside like in a vehicle or anything like that yet. So I, I can't really say, but I, I'm guessing it's going to be less enjoyable. There are now anti-glare screen protectors that you can get from JSOX. This is not plugging them, but they do offer it. So if you have a Steam Deck that you bought without the anti-glare screen, you could put a anti-glare screen protector on that, therefore kind of nullifying the benefits of buying the 512 gig model. 
the little thing. I did want to make sure my Steam Deck could last the... 50 years that so you're going to be using it? Right, yeah. I mean... I am a bit clumsy <laughs> as well, so I, I don't want to say it could, it's necessarily the kids that did it, but it certainly wasn't me that did it. I don't know which kid. <laughs> maybe they dropped something on it. You know, I want it to last as long as possible. Right. Hedge my bets. Obviously, it's not a foolproof protection. It's not going to stop a hammer. But it will, it'll probably stop the errant rock or something. Yeah. And this kind of goes with some of the things that Matt has said, where you can go with one of these lower end models instead of the very top tier, do some upgrades and make up that difference for a little bit less price. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is the nice thing with the Steam Deck that you can buy that $400 lower end model and upgrade it as you want when you can that $250 price jump to that 512 model that's a little much not gonna lie for the memory upgrade that you get so I definitely understand why some people are going that route I know that's the route I went personally so the fact that you can buy all this stuff post-market just shows that while it's a PC at the end of the day it's just an upgradable appliance which is a rarity nowadays yes it is and I hope that it is a trend setter not a one-off Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links at the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Loon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here shirt, or join hashtag Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. (laughs) 